For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to It's Called Soccer. This is a podcast show where we talk about American soccer and not mistakes we made in high school. I'm your host, Jake Landau, joining you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, joined as always by my two favorite people, Ellie L. God Godden. Ellie, how are you? What's up? Doing great. Doing great. We're moving into summer camp season over here. So, you know, good times are rolling and we're all surviving. There we go. Thomas T. God, I I need to differentiate you guys somehow. Uh, I don't want to call you Thomas the Tank or anything. I, I'm gonna go with Tom Godden for now. <laughs> no, only if you do the four notes of some popular song to to the tune, then we'll get a copyright ban. But uh, for now, we're good. Tom, how are you? What's up? I'm doing great. My uh, big, scary, super qualifying exam of Doom was last week, and I spent basically all week like curled up at my desk doing astronomy, and it's done. I'm working one job for the first time ever in my life, and it's it's just great. Um, looking forward to a great summer. Well, get uncurled, Tom, because we have a wild and crazy episode coming at you. We are coming to you after the U20 team beat New Zealand in the round of 16 U20 World Cup for nothing a victory that sends them to the quarterfinals. They will play Gambia or Uruguay on next Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern time, two days after the Godin senior dad birthday. So make sure to put that on your calendar. Both of those events are very important. Um, we'll talk. Probably should actually, but. <laughs> well, that that was more for all of our viewers, not not you guys. You, you guys should absolutely have that on your calendar. Okay, we'll talk about the goals. Uh, what was happening at halftime for us to only be up one nothing and be so in control of that match. Um, Tom's doing some NASA-style math right now to tell us about the uh, shot accuracy and expected goals. Um, we'll also talk about the 3-4-3 and how we've been doing that in the U20 World Cup. Then we are going across the pond to England. Leeds have been relegated officially. We thought it was going to happen last episode. It has happened, sadly. Ellie is sad. Um, Leeds are relegated. We will talk about where all of the Americans might go and what the transfer implications of them going to the championship is. Um, also, I want to plug that Jesse Marsh ends the season as Leeds manager with the highest points per game won. And if he had continued at 1.03 points per game, he would have steered them to safety. So I'm just saying we might not cover that, but I'm just saying Jesse Marsh might not have been the problem at Leeds United. Okay, then down south, uh, well, south to England, not to the U.S. The Bundesliga final match day ended in tragedy for Dortmund as they drew Mainz 2-2. Gio Reyna, our star boy, came on with two assists, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Bayern win their game and win the Bundesliga title for what this will be the 12th year in a row that Bayern win the Bundesliga title. We'll talk about that collapse. And then Anthony Hudson is leaving the U.S. interim position, so we will get an interim interim manager. His name is BJ Callahan. Uh, Ellie has done the deep analysis and research into who this person is. Where does he come from? Uh, why why is he the interim manager now? Uh, so make sure to stay tuned for that. I'm sure I will learn a lot because uh, I just saw the news, but I have not done any of that research. That's exactly what you want to hear from your podcast host. But I assure you that Ellie has and Ellie knows exactly what is happening in BJ Callahan's life. All right. Then we will wrap up with the Nations League roster that will be dropped later this week. And that uh, game will be against Mexico in the semifinals of the Nations League. Uh, who are we excited to see? And who is maybe one player that might be a surprise that we would love to see on that team? Make sure to stick around for all of that on this episode. I'm out of breath of It's Called Soccer. Shall we get started? Let's get into it. Cool. A resounding yes, yes from the, the peanut gallery. <laughs> Okay. 
BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all of your basketball information, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all of your sports wagering needs, basketball, Major League Baseball, NHL hockey, right to UFC, boxing, and the best sport on earth, soccer. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your own home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. Tom, do you have anything to say for yourself? I mean, let's get into this U-20 team. Um, it's been a really good tournament for them so far. They're the first team in the history of the U-20 World Cup to keep a clean sheet and score 10-plus goals through their first four games. That's huge. Great. I, I wasn't asking you to make a transition, but that was perfect <laughs> that you did. Yes, but Tom, has been fun. <laughs> yeah, you... You were just excited, so please please tell us more about because this is there is a lot to talk about with this game, with this tournament, with this team. Uh, tell us your first impressions of this game, this four nothing victory over New Zealand. I mean, dominant in possession, uh, knocking on the door the whole time. This, the defense has been completely comfortable since game one, uh, but just um, some problems I think putting it together in the final third. I think is fair to say for this team over the course of the tournament. But this was probably their best performance they've put in so far. The team seems to be gelling, coming together at the right time. We've got some reinforcements coming in, Paredes and Pukstas, who both featured in this game. So it seems to be trending in the right direction for them to make a deep run. Uh, what what have you seen, Jake? I mean, we know that in tournaments, the teams that go furthest are the ones that start to build momentum into those knockout rounds. And this is kind of the game that you want to see a 4 nothing. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but... I thought we were in such control of the match and it was a little bit worrying that we were only up by one at halftime because really anything can happen and New Zealand were trying to play on the counter. They got a few open opportunities that we were fortunate to to not have New Zealand do much more with. Um, John Herdman's son as well, I don't know if everyone knows this, was on New Zealand, so it felt good to beat down on Canada's head coach. <laughs> Head coach's son. Results like that because we just yes. Albert Rusnak of Seattle Sounders' dad is the Slovakia manager. <laughs> there we go. So many connections to MLS and U.S. soccer. Um, but yeah, I thought we were in such control of the match, and it was a little bit worrying that we weren't finishing as much as we could have. Also, the first goal from Owen Wolf was kind of an accident and a mistake from the the keeper from New Zealand. We will talk about all of these goals, but um, just the fact that we couldn't finish the chances that we should have. Uh, we got maybe lucky or made our own luck on the goals that we did, but happy to see four nothing. Not complaining going into a game that is completely winnable, uh, whether we play Gambia or Uruguay on Sunday, um, and then maybe we meet Brazil in the semifinals, Argentina. Uh, so we might be on a South American gauntlet from here. But Ellie, what did you make of the game? I'm not gonna lie, I didn't catch it. Um, nice. <laughs> we'll we'll depend. Ariel. I'm behind. That's why there's three of us. Yeah. Yeah. If you're coming here for information, at least one of us is going to know know the answer. All right. Let's talk about this. And and Ellie, feel free to jump in. And uh, maybe nobody heard what you just said. And you can act like you saw it. Act like you watched it. All right. Fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> okay. So Owen Wolf uh, gets the U.S. to one to nothing. It was a shot from distance. The keeper decides to let it go past him, thinking that it will roll wide, but it doesn't. It goes into the side netting. Um, we also had a few other opportunities. Caleb Wiley got a few decent crosses into the box as well, but it seemed like everyone was kind of making the same run, crashing the box, and nobody was staying on that penalty spot, waiting for the cutback. Um, so one nothing at halftime. We just it didn't seem like we could bin the, find those finishing boots. Um, Tom, do we worry about this going forward that we were in such control of this match or uh, is it not necessarily a worry because of the game was never really in doubt? I mean, I, there's something to be said for the game state being a huge issue in these sorts of games and we saw it against Fiji too. We struggled. We couldn't really break them down. It was nil nil at half in that game. We ended up winning three nil. But 
I don't think better teams are going to sit in these sort of low block bunkers and let us just sort of play around the edge of their penalty box and try and break them down. They're going to, you know, throw numbers at us and we're going to have some space to work in behind. So I think there's some game state argument to be made that we might fare better going forward. But, you know, it's always worrying when you're just in control of a game and you can't seem to get the goals you need to actually put it away early. You want to try and put those games away early and not let it be decided on flukes late on. So I that. It's sort of a conflicting feeling because I like being the dominant team here, but I would like to see us be up two, three goals and just have it out of sight, out of mind early on. Yeah. And finishing is always something that is difficult to come by. We talked about this in the Discord that we we have striker options available. Ricardo Pepe is eligible for the team, but he had graduated to the senior team, so he wasn't here. Uh, we did play Diego Luna again in the... Uh, 10 spot kind of dropping deeper and, and picking up the ball maybe let's just quickly go through the the lineup as well so Gaga Slanina is in at keeper um, he's probably one of the best players actually just in this tournament in general and we're, we're lucky to have him back there he made some good saves today and organized the defense Tom what did you see from Gaga I he's he's very comfortable uh with making the saves when he needs to he's really good at coming off his line and being able to a third center back a fourth center back essentially when we need him in possession um the few times we've needed him throughout the tournament he's come up huge um i think no no more important than that save against slovakia that's the one i keep going back to at this tournament so far where they get one opportunity from distance and he just makes a great save full extension to keep the game level um so um yeah, he's just been solid. He was solid today. He's solid throughout the tournament. Um, probably one of the top five players at this tournament right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so then across the back line is uh, Joshua Winder as the left center back, Brandon Craig as the center center back, and Justin Che as the right center back. Then we have across left to right, Caleb Wiley is the left wing back. Then we have uh, Diego, no, Daniel Edelman and Jack McGlynn as the two pivots. And... Um, now I'm lost. Jonathan Gomez as the right wing back. Again, playing out of position. And then across the front three, Cade Cowell is the left wing. Uh, Diego Luna is the 10, dropping in. And Owen Wolf is the right wing. Um, Tom, who else stood out to you in this match? I think you have to talk about McGlynn and Craig, who have been, again, excellent all tournament and were no uh, different today. Perfect passes. Uh, able to unlock the defense in just a lot of different ways. Um both of them, I think, have raised their stock more than anyone else this tournament. Yeah. I mean, both of them kind of, it's weird because they're both at the Union. They both have a very similar uh, skill set that makes you excited in terms of their passing ranges. Brandon Craig from the back, which uh, we need at the senior national team. It's unfortunate, though, because the Union have two really good center backs at an MLS level, and he's finding it difficult to break them up because it's, it's hard to do that when it's yeah. such a good center back pairing, but Jack McGlynn, I mean, he had a few. There was one where he kind of had a, a one-touch curling pass in behind the defense, and Cade Cowell ran onto it. Unfortunately, there was a good uh, sliding tackle from the New Zealand defender that that got uh, Cade Cowell, and we won a corner. But it's it's moments like that that just show you what game IQ and passing range can do. Uh, for someone that might not look like they have all the physical tools or might not look like the biggest player on the pitch, um, he made such an impact. But let's talk a little bit. Let's go through the the other three goals and talk about what this performance means. So around the 65th minute in the second half, Cade Cowell, um, kind of a signature solo run, except he finishes with his left foot this time. It was a nice layoff um, to him as well to open up the space. Then for the third, Justin Shea gets on the score sheet after an incredible counterattack uh, spurred by Diego Luna's dribbling through the center of the pitch. And then Rokas Pukshas, who had just arrived with this team, comes in as a substitute and makes the most of another keeper mistake. Uh, the keeper came out for one of, was it uh, McGlynn or Craig that hit that? I think Craig, but I'm not sure. I have to go back and look at the highlights. It, in my memory, I think it was Craig as well. Uh, so Craig hits a free kick. The goalkeeper comes out, misses it, and Rokas Pukshas is right behind him to head it into the back of the net. Power header, 4 nothing. USA win um, on to the quarterfinal. This is the fourth consecutive quarterfinal appearance. So, Ellie, I know you didn't watch this match, but what is happening with our U20 group uh, over the last four World Cups, and how far can this team go? I think we're investing in youth soccer, and I think we're seeing, and especially in our MLS and all of 
U.S. soccer, I think we're seeing a rise in our our youth, and I think it's starting to show in our tournament squads and our performances. And so I see it only going up from here, right? Um, if we continue to invest and continue to try and put that effort and that weight into what we have and try and see where we can go. I mean, we're y'all are talking about us fighting against, you know, Brazil, Argentina in the semifinals, right? That puts us up there with South American soccer, which is world-renowned, right? And so if we continue at that rate and we continue to invest at the youth level, who knows what we could see in the future for for our our adult level squads, right? For our senior level squads, we can see a huge upturn in everything. So I think it I think we're seeing that at the youth level. We're seeing that what we're putting in finally coming back. Yeah, that that's interesting you talk about the the investment because this even though we've made four straight quarterfinals, it does feel like this is we're meeting the matches in such a different way and we are being the instigators of every single match. We have possession that's 67, 70% possession. We're the ones with uh, the control of the match. And like the, the other tournaments, we might've had good players. We might've had good moments. We might've had maybe an easier uh, move into the, the knockout stages, but it just feels like this is a little bit different where we, we have incredible players. The coaching staff seems really competent for this level. Uh, Mikey Varus, the way that he's built this team and, and the way that we play um, but maybe Tom, talk a little bit about the control that we exude on these matches. Does it feel different to you? Like it, it does for me? It feel it's exciting. It's fun to watch. It's fun soccer for the first time. I think I've had like the most fun I've had in a long time watching us teams play. I mean, you just got the pinging balls all around The Players are working together. You always seem to know where the next pass is. Keep the flow moving. They're trying interesting stuff. They're making really tricky moves you've got players trying these really fun exciting dribbles um you got caleb wiley trying some fun stuff on the wing you've got luna who tries to slip past two dudes every time he gets the ball you've got Cade cowell tries to slip past 10 dudes every time he gets the ball um it's it's just it's exciting stuff and it's kind of aesthetically beautiful to watch until it breaks down in the final third um which i think is sort of the next evolution to what could make this team even more fun to watch yeah and it does seem like it has everything. It has the one-touch football where like, we're making passing triangles and just breezing past the press. And then it has your Diego Lunas that's almost playing like futsal um, yeah. with the drag backs and opening up space. It's just fun to watch. It's so dynamic. It's not yeah. It's not you know one-dimensional where we have to depend on one player, one skill set. Uh, there's so many different skill sets, and it's all kind of meshing together in a way that is fun to watch. Um, yeah. Maybe let's talk a little bit, uh, Tom. I know you were doing some calculations on the finishing. Tell us a little bit about that and where that is. I, I was going to ask your opinion on this because I don't know if this is the formation or the personnel or what's going on, but the U.S. has, um, let's just say, struggled to um, finish chances in the box. Um, I'll just read out the stats real quick on these four games. Ecuador, 13 shots, five on target, one big chance, missed that big chance. Fiji, 31 shots, seven shots on target, two big, seven big chances, six big chances missed. Slovakia, 20 shots, eight shots on target, two big chances, one big chance missed. New Zealand, 22 shots, eight shots on target, five big chances, three big chances missed. Total, 28 of 86 shots on target for 32%. Total, 15, 11 big chances missed of 15 big chances created. 73% of big chances are not turned into goals. Um... They're scoring these sort of low, low, uh, uh, like low XG chances yeah. that they shouldn't. And every time they get a good chance, they're just blasting the ball into the 18th row. Uh, um, it's it's a very interesting problem. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Whether it's just there's just not a natural striker in the group. Whether it's just the false nine we play. Whether it's just the shot selection is poor. I, I what are you making of it? Is this is this a big as big of a worry for you as it is for me? I think Ellie can can jump in here. Um, I mean, I don't think so personally. Um, I mean, I think personally, hearing that, I think it means you're overthinking, and the times you don't need to overthink, right? Um, is that it's like it's one of those. I remember. Okay, this is super weird. When when we used, when I used to play tennis growing up, like 
the like easiest shots are sometimes the hardest ones to hit because you think like, oh, I can do something really cool and beautiful with this and I can like make it really interesting. And then you hit it five feet out because you're like, oh, I overthought that it should have been really super easy. And I, I can totally see that happening, especially for, for you 20 players. I, that's totally a thing, right? Like I, I kind of almost expect it in some ways, right? That kind of you're developing that concept of like, I can breathe, take a step, just kind of make sure those bases are covered and then like, just make sure it goes in. Um, instead of the like, whoa, let's see what I can do with this thing. Right. So I don't know if I'm really concerned about it. Right. I mean, I think it shows development. Yeah. I do think from like a, what makes me feel good is that we are creating so many big chances. So Tom, one of your initial questions was, is it the formation? Is it the styles players? Um, I think if anything, it's showing us that the style and formation is working as intended. And then it's kind of up to the players to to finish. And similar to what Ellie said, I it is a little bit worrying, but I'm I'm willing to forgive more because they're younger players. They're yeah. like, this is an opportunity. Well, one, it's an opportunity to raise some stock and some value of players in, in the transfer market. I think about players like Cade Cowell. He's, he already has four professional years at San Jose. He's He's going to be gone at some point to Europe. And like, how big is that fee? It might depend on his performance at the U20 World Cup with with scouts there. But then there's this other layer of someone maybe like Obed Vargas or some of the younger players or someone that's not necessarily on the radar yet of European scouts where it's use this as experience. Use this as, a, you know, Owen Wolf, try this shot from 20 yards out. Maybe make some magic happen. Uh, Jogo. Hit a volley, hit a half volley against Ecuador <laughs> and just see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say like in, in the discord, when the, the game was happening, I said in that first half that we scored our worst chance uh, and none of our good chances. And um, the, the other piece too, I already kind of mentioned it, but like, it seems that all of the, the players in the box when we have a cutback are making the same run. Um, so part of what you're saying is more about the shots uh, the expected goals, all of that. I think there's another, not problem, but something that we can solve to to find more goals with this team is yeah. just to understand that, hey, if you're the striker, and maybe this is the formation because we don't necessarily have a striker. If you're the yeah. first player that's crashing the box on a cutback, you need to go near post and you need to drag that defender. If you're the second player that's crashing the box, stand right on the penalty spot and wait for that cutback. If you're the third player, Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not yeah. far post. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just like training that and drilling that a little bit with the team, I think we could see a lot of dividends be paid. But some, yeah, I mean, some of it might just be game state too. Like we said, these teams are all pretty much sitting in like two rows of four or five and just parking in front of their 18 yard yeah. box. And you're just not getting a whole lot of quality looks. You're getting a lot of shots with two or three guys around you or trying something from distance. And there might be something to be said for that, just not helping our situation at all either. Um, let me even looking at XG, we're doing a good job of generating XG. We have something like the third most XG generated in the whole tournament, uh, running like a goal under it, of course, because we're just not converting a whole lot. Of and what do we know about XG, Tom? It always reverts to the mean. So <laughs> over a long enough period. That's exactly what I wanted enough. you to say. <laughs> One tournament's not necessarily long enough for it to happen, but it's <laughs> enough that you'd start to expect it to happen if you make a run. Um I will say that that's kind of a skewed stat, though, because three of the top seven teams in the tournament, as far as XG generated, are in our group, um, which says more about BG than hey, now. about the three teams in our group. <laughs> that's just the You can only it. play the team that's in front of you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we did generate 31 shots against BG. So, Tom, I'm glad after 100 episodes, I know exactly what you're going to say if I ask you. That's sweet. That's a sweet feeling. Okay, um, anything else to say about the U20s? Can't wait for this next game. Let's see what we can do. Ellie, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Shall we move across the pond to Leeds United, the championship team in 2023-24? Ellie, I noticed you're not wearing your Leeds jersey today. I pulled it out of my closet and I looked at it and then I sighed and put it back. <laughs> and then you burned it. Oh. <laughs> no, I love this jersey. I love that one. Now, um, now did, it, did it make me want to cry? Yeah. 
the the fan response to this, I, I think I want to start with Weston McKinney uh, talking about the transfer implications for these three Americans. So Weston McKinney was uh, brought in in January. It was a loan from Juve. If they were to stay up and be safe in the Premier League, they would have been uh, required to purchase Weston McKinney. He is going back to Juve because they are going down. And as he was substituted off in the last match of the season, the Leeds fans uh, chanted, you fat bastard, as he walked off the pitch. Um, it makes you feel a certain type of way having supported this team and not just the Americans, not just Jesse Marsh, but Leeds in general buying into this team. Um, Ellie, what were you feeling when, when you saw that, when you heard that? And yeah, we'll, we'll hold off to see where Weston's going to go. Let's do that question first. I was purchasing my plane ticket. Um, ready to go and fight some people. Um, there's someone who came over to try and defend your club and trying to come in and support. And I've I've heard things where people are like, he didn't give his whole heart into it. Like, he had a transfer clause that was going to be activated if relegation were the case. They were, there at the end, they were very clearly going to get relegated. We all knew, let's be honest. We all were sad about it, but we all knew. So like, why invest your whole heart and soul into a thing you know is just going to disappear and have your heart broken, right? Like, I can see him totally being like, well, now I need to figure out the next step as a soccer player, right? Like, I can fight as much as I want, and I'll continue. Like, he, it's not like he completely gave up, but... I would argue he was their best player over the last four matches. Right? Yes. So and also, he's played under three managers, so you think that each manager is going to look at him in practice and say, yeah, the the fat guy that isn't good enough for this team, I'm going to play him. Like, that's not what's happening in Sam the club Allardyce. with the managers. Yeah, same as Allardyce's entire attack strategy was cross the ball to Weston McKinney's head. <laughs> if the ball goes up for a throw in, let Weston McKinney throw it as far as he can and see how hope a goal happens. That's yeah. not the sign of a club that like doesn't like the player. And Sam Allardyce had millions of dollars riding on them being uh, winning safety. So if if your strategy is I'm going to depend on Weston McKinney to get my contract to the point where I get three or four million dollars because Leeds is safe and the fans are thinking that that's they don't know what they're doing or Weston McKinney doesn't care, then that's wrong. But OK, I, so Weston McKinney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just Good. feel like the no matter if he's trying or not, and I don't think his effort was ever in question except by people within Weston McKinney's own camp. But that's a whole nother podcast. Um <laughs> Twenty-nine, twenty-nine. <laughs> the racial abuse and the player abuse that the Leeds players, particularly McKenney, have suffered have been awful the last month. It's unacceptable at any level and really needs to be shamed out of the game, particularly in Europe. And I'm really sad about how this has all played out for all these guys, particularly McKenney. Yeah, people want to talk smack about MLS. Look at the wholesome fans that are uh, in the stands. LA. Yeah. I was also thinking of uh, Kaku, who is a player for New York Red Bulls, who kicked the ball <laughs> into the Red Bull stands. And anyway, that's a yeah, that's another episode as well. Okay, so Weston McKinney goes back to Juve. Um, they'll need to figure out what to do with him. Does he stay there? Um, I think there's one more match day in Italy, and Juve are still in contention for uh, Europa League. So, does Weston McKinney stay at Juve, or where is a good landing spot for him? Somewhere that doesn't play Allegri ball. Literally anywhere that does not play Allegri ball. It seems like he's probably going back to the Prem. Um, seems like maybe Brighton was interested. Uh, you know, Aston Villa is another club that I think could be a really good landing spot for him. Um, it does seem, though, like he's leaving Italy behind and going back to England to fight again in the Premier League. Ellie, do you want to see him in the Prem? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to see him back at Juve with all of their stuff going on let's put stuff down <laughs> well um, to... with with an upcoming transfer episode we might be talking about uh christian pulisic going to uva but again we'll we'll talk about it in the transfer episode um i i actually think that because of west mckinney's performances with leeds and uva's current financial and sporting situation whoever does pick up west mckinney might get a deal on their hands if they're able to i mean leeds were on the hook if they they were staying safe um, to purchase McKinney for around $35 million. That was uh, the report 
I do think Brighton, Aston Villa, they could probably pick him up for 20, 25 million. And yeah. for a player that's going to slot right into your, your team, play center midfielder, be ready to, to play most of the season. Even when he gets injured, he seems to have like superhuman bones that repair in ungodly amounts of time. Um, and you have a player there that's going to be the backbone to your team, the backbone to the U.S. men's national team um, exposure to a new fan base. So it's all there. Yeah. And that's about what Juve paid for him. They didn't pay a whole lot for him. So they're getting a deal. Like they're they're going to turn a profit on him regardless. He's worth a lot to them, I think. Yeah. And so Tyler Adams does have a uh, release clause attached to him. I don't personally think that a year in the championship would do him any good. I want to see him back in the Premier League. He showed his dominance for Leeds. One of, again, one of the worst teams in the league. One of the worst three teams in the league, statistically. Um, I, I could see him at West Ham replacing Declan Rice or Caicedo at Brighton if uh, they are able to get rid of him. Brighton's going to have to do a massive rebuild. They're also probably going to get rid of McAllister. Um, there might be some interest for Matoma. Uh, even their 18-year-old striker might go in this transfer window. So we'll see what happens. But um, Ellie, where do you want to see? Where Where's the next jersey that you're going to buy for Tyler Adams? I don't know. I want him in a, a Champs League fighting club. Um, I think that Tyler Adams has nowhere to go but up. And I think as he is, he's the engine and backbone of every single club that he goes to. So, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and shout out, like, I would love to see him over at, like, Newcastle um, or, goodness, I mean, anywhere. Manchester United. New Where? Manchester United. Oh, yeah. Full, full support. Full support. Anywhere that I think that any club that buys him will find their their fortunes turning. And I think that they'll see a huge, like, a huge raise in everything. Just everything. I think, personally, for me, Tyler Adams is probably the best player that we have for the U.S. right now. Yeah. I mean, you could make a case that once Tyler Adams went down with an injury, that kind of solidified Leeds's season being relegated. Numbers back you up on that. They've been pretty bad since he went down hurt. That, that's what I like to hear. That, that's why we pay you the big bucks here, Tom, to just agree with me. And if you don't, you're fired. Okay, you're never coming back. All right. Brendan Aronson is the, the third player in this mix. Um, he also seems to have a, a relegation clause attached to him. So there is a team that could potentially come and scoop him up, pay that clause. And if I'm Leeds, um, you know, you might need that money going into the championship. I could see Brendan Aronson getting some value out of being in the championship, but the more that I think about it, the more that I think maybe about the other teams that could take him, not maybe not in the Premier League, but maybe more of a technical or transition-based league like the Bundesliga, I could see Aronson having a lot of success there. Um, yeah. Ellie, you were uh, nodding your head at him being in the championship. What what are you hoping from him? Okay, I'm not going to shout quite the championship, but I'm going to shout a championship-level team that's entering the Prem at the lowest level, and I'm going to throw out some Luton Town right here. There we go. I really think that that would be, like, a again, a lower team on the table I think is a good place for him to build up. He still gets that high-level competition. You can, He can still kind of, you know, find his ways, find his pockets, really learn and be challenged. Um, and he's on a team that, doesn't have high expectations. He can walk into a team that doesn't have all these, like, like Leeds has had some kind of expectation to succeed in the season began. Um, when the season began, I'm going to put that little asterisk right there. They were um, a relegation battle last year, so. So there was some, some idea. They loved him in the first few matches. Did you guys see the hit piece that came out from the Daily Mail tonight? <laughs> no. Daily Tell Mail us about it. It's a hit piece that's titled Brendan Aronson is statistically the worst player in the Premier League this season. Oh my God. <laughs> so okay. I'm not sure if he's going to end up landing on a Premier League club. I don't agree with that take personally, but it did come out tonight. Um, and it could affect his valuation in the Premier League. Um, I would personally love to see him go to the Bundesliga. Um, team up with his brother at Frankfurt would be really fun to watch. Um but also, a year in the championship getting beat up a little bit would probably be really good for him to sort of level up the physicality aspects that I think are lacking in his game right now. Yeah. I mean, if the Daily Mail says it, then it means he's probably going to be one of the best players in the world in a few years. That, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's Why fair. Ice his way for that burn or something like that? Hurts. 
I feel like I need some aloe going his way. I'm sorry, Brendan Aronson. How- it's okay. He's a he's a New Jersey kid. He's got tough skin. It'll roll off his back. Uh, how fun would that be if we had some brothers in the Bundesliga? That would be awesome. That'd I would be awesome to see that being coached by Timmy Chandler. It'd be it'd be a really fun situation. And the greatest American player of all time is there, Timothy Chandler. Getting the reps in with with the Aronson boys. Okay, let's go to the Bundesliga uh, before Tom does tell me that I'm wrong and I have to fire him. Uh, the final match day occurred. Dortmund uh, biffed it, I'm sorry to say, on the final match day, drawing minds 2-2. Two to two. Bayern won it because they won their match uh, at the death, actually. Uh, Jamal Musiala, the young German, gets the goal to put Bayern ahead 2-1, to one, and Bayern wins it from Dortmund, stealing it at the death. Um Gio Reyna came on and getting a two assists that brought Dortmund back into the game. After the game, the uh, Dortmund manager, Terzic, Ter- Terzic, was talking to media and said that it felt unfair that Dortmund didn't win the Bundesliga. Well, sir, you're playing a lower table team that was not uh, fighting for anything. They were not in danger of relegation. You were playing in front of your home fans, in front of the yellow wall, Bayern Gave it to you. All you need to do is win at home against the lower table team, and you couldn't do it. Gio Reyna tried his best. Um, What did you guys go through? What emotions did you go through on that final match day in those 90 minutes? I watched that whole match, and it was depressing. Oh, my gosh. I just felt so bad for them the whole day because it really never felt like they were in it. It never felt like the fans were in it. It felt quiet in the stadium the whole time. It just felt like everyone was on the edge of their seat. They concede twice early, and basically everyone seems to give up. The players don't seem to have any fight. It was it was really hard to watch. It was the most Dortmund thing you can ever you know, have. <laughs> the expected goals. Yeah, they generated <laughs> 3.7 expected goals. <laughs> and just couldn't... They missed a penalty that would have tied the game at 1-1. It was, it was just bad. Allaire had a Pure bad game. Dortmund. Malin had a bad game. Yeah, it was absolutely pure Dortmund you one could argue that Reyna who was warming up in the 26th minute should probably have come on right then to try and you know make something happen because that you know they subbed on Royce in the first half and it still didn't make a difference Reyna comes on in the 60th and immediately there's a spark and they put a goal in and they look more dangerous but by that point you're down two goals you need three a a goal every 10 minutes to win the title and that's just a tough ask for anyone so Ellie, how much did you see? How much did you love seeing the same team win the Bundesliga for the the twelfth year in a row? No, Grant. How much did you love that? I haven't been following soccer for that long. Boy, I'm really sick of Bayern Munich and PSG both with all of their stupid trophies. I hate those trophies. So we at least had uh, Lille. That was a breath of fresh air, and that was when I was really new to everything. So that was wonderful. So I didn't understand, and now I'm I'm seeing Bayern, and boy, that's it's just depressing. It's just really. And Thomas texted me and was like, "There's hope," and then was like, "There's no hope," and I was like, "Whoa, gee, that was fast." Wow. I'm I'm rewatching the Ted Lasso episodes, and the last one that I just watched before this recording was called. It's the hope that kills you. And it is. Um, Dortmund's been in this situation many times before, and they just keep letting this happen over and over again. And just, they feel cursed. It's it's just really hard to put it any other way. And, you know, even with the team they had this year, in the best best form you're ever going to see from Dortmund, Thomas Tuchel is basically handing them a title. And, like, (laughs) just still can't get it done. It's kind of frustrating to watch. Well, I mean, they couldn't do it with Erling Holland. I mean, what do you expect? Like, that's it's just it's it's sad. I'm sorry, it's sad. It it also you know sucks that uh, Jude Bellingham is down hurt and he couldn't play yeah. in that game and is possibly have knee surgery this summer. I Bellingham was warming up and like they had him passing out water bottles and being the hype man on the sideline and stuff like that. And if he had come into that game early, I think that that would have changed it. Um, he was warming up with Reyna in like the 26th minute, but they could never get him into the game. Apparently, his knee just couldn't handle it. They were probably using him as some type of sabotage for for mines. Like we could put Bellingham in, but yeah. we might, we might. Yeah. Um, Tom, you know what's not cursed? 
<laughs> I wonder if you can guess it. Waiting for see where you go with this. Gio Reyna finishes the high the season with the highest goals and assists per ninety. Uh, tell me about some stats from Gio Reyna. Why, and... why is he the best player in the world? <laughs> in the witness league. Let's go ahead and put a minute uh, restriction on this, where he only played 568 minutes and has, what, seven goals and two assists or something that helps. like that. Yeah, where basically every time he subbed on, he scores a goal. He has more goals scored after the 90th minute than before this season, um, to put that in perspective. Um, he's just sort of been the sort of secret weapon at the death for Dortmund all second half of the season you could argue some of its health you could argue some of its the form of players ahead of him i'd argue that's probably not enough to keep him off the field i think he probably should have been starting but talent's there you could see when he came on he immediately comes on and tries a cave cowell style dribble through like half of Mainz and nearly creates a goal off of it um so he's just he's such a talented player and despite everything that's gone on with him this season he continues to produce at a high level um i just I can't understand why he's not starting, given how good the stats are. He's also the highest in XG plus XA per 90 in the whole Bundesliga. So yeah. he's he's creating real goals and expected goals, which is exactly what you want out of your attackers. There's a um, one of the initial packages or chapters in Soccernomics is about how it's actually more important to buy players that win you points and not necessarily the players that score the most goals. So what that means is like by the players that in the moments that matter, score the goals or get the assists. Um, Reyna won about 15 points alone by himself for Dortmund this season. Like he's one of the main reasons why Dortmund was in the position to win the Bundesliga in the first place because his goals weren't, you know, you talked about game state for the U20s. His goals weren't when Dortmund were up four or five, nothing. And they tacked another on his goals won them games his goals tied them games and won them points um so i'm i'm excited to see what happens with reina next season i know dormand will always you know re-up on the next best 17 18 year old talent but Giorina, i think has proven himself with the limited minutes that he's gotten that um he does he deserves a starting role or at least to be looked at in that starting spot for the next season we'll see what happens byron might get declan rice um they might upgrade even more in, in their roster. And we'll see who else, uh, who other all-stars from the Bundesliga they steal from other teams to uh, strengthen their position at the top of the league. All right, anything else to say on the Bundesliga, Gio Reyna, Dortmund? We just want to wipe it from our minds, men in black style. True. Okay. See him do it again next year. No, you already forgot, Tom. Dude, come on. Go with the bit. Right. Okay. <laughs> um. Next, next topic, BJ Callahan is the new head coach, manager of the U.S. Men's National Team. Woo! We got a new manager, guys. Oh, just not the one. Just not the one we were expecting. Anthony Hudson uh, reportedly is going to the Middle East. He has agreed to a head coaching job there. Um, likely, he was told by uh, Matt Crocker, the sporting director, that he wasn't in contention for the head coaching role for the U.S. Men's National Team, took a job where he knew there was going to be a steady paycheck and a steady role. And now the U.S. is left scrambling to find the next interim manager. So our second interim manager after Greg Berhalter leaves is one of the other assistants, B.J. Callahan. And to tell us all about his life story, <laughs> Ellie, take us away. Who is this guy? Okay, so I really think they just drove through Pennsylvania and just stopped at a cornfield and picked up someone. Um, there's really next to no information about this man anywhere. Um, but thank you, you, thank you, U.S. Soccer Federation, for posting something very last minute today. As a, I think I forgot that we don't, no one knows who this guy is, so maybe we should <laughs> tell them. Um, so, um. Pennsylvania guy just through and through just just through and through um starts out playing and coaching at and I'm gonna mispronounce this um but it's they were the black bears um Ursinus College Ursinus shout out to Ursinus I live right right around there so that's where he starts out playing and then starts his coaching career there and then moves on to the Philly soccer community um starting out with our our favorite lower league, USL League 2, um, FC Delco, um, and then moving immediately into... Big club. 
it look i'm telling you usl league two anyone from this area knows fc delco oh yeah absolutely yeah i i didn't learn about them until recently and i'm still not entirely convinced they're real um (laughs) neither are people from delco i'll just say that i'm gonna start a war with people in the comments but anyone that lives in delco in southeastern pennsylvania you you don't exist to me i'm sorry you're not a real person okay go on ellie Ouch. Okay, I'm sure they're all feeling it. Band-Aids for all of you. They know. (laughs) Well, he moved on to work at Montgomery United Soccer Club, which is an academy and an affiliate of our lovely Philly Union friends. Um, And from there, moves on to Eastern Pennsylvania Youth Soccer, um, or as they they, um, say it, E-P-Y-S-A in the region. So, um, woohoo! For some reason, I thought you were going to do like a Philadelphia accent. I can do a Southern yeah. one if you want, but I'm not going to try. That's not how they say it. Um, no. Yeah, I think that that's so like you're going to make everyone in, in Delco mad. Um, that's how I get all of Philadelphia coming down and banging on my door and screaming at me. So, no. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and from there, he moves immediately into the Philly Union Academy. Um while he's there, he focuses on defense, opponent analysis, set-piece design, player development, and scouting. So we have coming in someone who has really, really focused on the analytical side. Um, and that's when Burhalter kind of picks him up for strategy analysis and starts using him again for looking at opponent analysis and um, kind of has him leading the U.S. men's national team technical staff for that kind of like game day, you know, developing game models, how should we develop the game? What should we do moving forward? Um, and so we're getting a coach in who has a really strong analytical background um, and who's really strong in defense and looking at the opponents. So I think that's going to bode well for for our, for the club. Um, he sticks around with Burhalter, goes to Qatar with the team and works on building strong team culture in Qatar, working under Anthony Hudson. And so that's where we get him coming from is that he's kind of seems to be right-hand man for Anthony Hudson, um, mostly working in that opponent analysis, mostly in strategics, um, which for Thomas is a field day. Um, I, I saw that and I was like, man, we've just made one happy podcast host. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm curious though, I, as much as I love the analytical side of this, is this the famed set piece coach that we had at the World Cup? think so the one who failed to create a single set piece goal for the entire u.s leading up to the world cup and throughout all of world cup qualifying tom i'd rather hear you go off on usmnt twitter on why they're so mad that anthony hudson's leaving (laughs) okay i did i did see that today too i didn't even like open twitter all day but that got back to me that apparently the conspiracy theory is that hudson was apparently supposed to call up the nation's league roster today supposed to make the phone calls and the Twitter conspiracy theory is that um, he called up a roster that was too Euro heavy and didn't meet the MLS quota. So they released him early and brought in someone who would release. Oh, my the God. MLS quota. I, I didn't I, I didn't come here for a conspiracy theory. I, OK, that that's like <laughs> that is the flat earth version of U.S. soccer. Get get yeah. the fuck out of here. Okay, we don't need that. Those aren't real conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's patently ridiculous, but there are a lot of people who are extremely angry that Hudson is departing and think the U.S. soccer is forcing him out because he's too biased towards Eurocentric players, which, you know, I love Hudson. I'm super happy for him. I don't really, I've said this on Discord today, I'm not really sure I feel like he's done a whole lot. Um, He played a 4-2-3-1. He called in a Eurocentric lineup. He drew Mexico once. Um, he <laughs> put up seven goals in Nations League, including six against Granada. Um, there's just really not a whole lot to go off of. And before that, he was one of the worst managers in the history of the MLS. So um, I, 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 I don't, you know, I sort of look at his tenure as sort of a mini version of the Dave Sarakin tenure where he had some fun call-ups and played some fun opponents and won some fun games. Um, but beyond that, like, you know, wish yeah. him all the best. There's there's just not a whole lot to say about 
Hudson and his tenure with the U.S. beyond just sort of thanks and, you know, good luck. Right. I agree. And it's it's silly to think that B.J. Callahan, the new interim manager, is going to do anything differently than what we've seen from Greg Berhalter and Anthony Hudson. Like his his role is almost going to be to keep continuity as much as possible throughout the Nations League and Gold Cup. I read somewhere that they did the the U.S. coaching staff splits up point of contacts for each individual player, and that he was responsible for like thirteen of the players on the U.S. men's national team roster, including Pepe. So, like, there's something you said for the fact that he seems to know the pool and is, has a you know a relationship with a good portion of them. So, yeah, you just sort of keep farming out those points of contacts, and you call up the guys who best give you a chance to win a trophy. Um, I don't think that Hudson was gonna give us some master game plan that's different than what Callahan's going to do. You throw, choose a formation, you throw 11 guys on the field, you think you're the best chance, and you play a very simple game. Well, and I mean, the players seem to already know him. Tim Ream spoke um, today, if y'all are okay with me reading a quote from yeah, go for it. the American go for it. there. Um, he says, first of all, congratulations to Anthony, and we wish him all the best in his new opportunity. After speaking to BJ, one main takeaway is that nothing changes for this group. The messaging goals and ideas stay the same with a new voice at the top his is a familiar voice that we are all comfortable with and have been around for years we're positioned well to win another nation's league and we need to be prepared from day one of the camp to get the job done so it doesn't sound like literally any changes about to happen we're just about to coast (laughs) i'm I'm gonna role play uh a usmnt twitter person okay ready um are we sure that Tim Ream wasn't blinking torture in Morse code <laughs> while saying that <laughs> because he must have had a gun pointed to his head while, while he said that, right? No player would, would back their coach and, and the new coach. Would they? Wild stuff. Never. No, what? <laughs> Wild no. stuff. Especially uh, Tim Ream, that rebel. Of all people. <laughs> Although I will say if we had chosen to just give the interim tag to Tim Ream for six months, would have been, been, I would have been. So would anything be different? No, yeah. nothing would be different. <laughs> except maybe he starts a few more games, even with a broken arm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I I think it'd be kind of fun to see a player manager in the interim role for a little bit. But you know, if Reem backs Callahan, that's good enough for me. Let's you know call up a squad this week and let's roll and beat Mexico. That's yeah. that's all so I let's... care about. I imagine that we're going to end up calling a squad. They Look, this is a team that has all played with each other before. They all know each other. Like, the only difference we're going to get is Falaire and Balogun, which, Lord above, thank you for all that is good and right in this world without Falaire <laughs> Balogun. I wasn't on the last episode, so I didn't get to scream. Um, but I did scream when I saw the news. I was literally walking through school and screamed. Um, it was very entertaining for everyone. Um like, this is not going to be, we're not looking at anything like, we're really not going to do anything different. So then it doesn't really matter who we have coaching, right? You just kind of get them in and make sure no one's dead or dying and throw them out on the field and say, you've done it before, do it again, have fun. Goodbye. Yep. We're going to see a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. We're going to see our best players against Nations League uh, opponents. We're going to see Gold Cup switch up for the roster. And also, I want to say, uh, rosters are not built only with the one individual head coach at the top. It is a yeah. full staff that makes the roster. So I'm sure BJ Callahan had tons of input into this roster. Um, yeah. Okay, so if nothing much is going to change with the Nations League and the Gold Cup, let's just uh, finish this out with who we're most excited to see. I assume uh, all of us will have one player at the top of the, of our mind, but um, Ellie, I'll let you go first to to take everyone's thunder. <laughs> I know Claire Balligan is definitely watching this podcast because we called him out so many times to tell him to come and join this team, and he did. And I'm telling you, it's coming from here first. You heard it. Conspiracy theory number one. I'm starting it today. Claire Balligan listens to the podcast and heard us calling him to come and join the U.S., and that's why he did it. Um, there we go. So excited. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I like trying to find plane tickets to Las Vegas because I just, I gotta be there to see Falaire Maligan on the field the first time. Do you think he starts in the semifinal against Mexico? Yes, yes, yes. This is a big topic of conversation on another wonderful podcast called In Soccer We Trust. 
with Jimmy Conrad, uh, Charlie Davies, and Heath Pierce. Heath Pierce is adamant that Ricardo Pepe is going to start over Balogun in the first match. Charlie Davies is triggered by that and really hates hates that line of thinking. Um, Tom, do you, do you think there's a world in which Pepe starts? I think there's a world where Pepe starts and Balogun comes in the, the last 30 minutes, especially considering Balogun has literally never played with this team before. Um, so, I, I, you know, if he doesn't get at least 30 minutes in that game, it'd be criminal. But at the same time, you might go with the hot hand, the familiar hand in the locker room for the first game just to get him integrated before, you know, unleashing our best talent against Canada in the finals. Okay, so Ellie is very excited about seeing Aaron Long on this team. Uh, Tom Godden, who are you most excited to see? I have a list of like 30 players here that I'm like, try to pick a name from here. I'm going to go. Pick it out of a hat. Oh, <laughs> random number generator. Let's let's <laughs> with uh, let's go with an outside back. Um, because okay, I think that I'm actually going to choose choose between two: Brian Reynolds or John Tolkien. I think one of those two will make this roster as the fourth left, or fourth outside back. I think that they have a chance to play some significant minutes and show what they can do. Um, it would be kind of fun to sort of see what depth we have at both those positions right now. And I want to see one of those guys there. Okay. Ellie doesn't love that, but um, <laughs> I don't support it, but okay. <laughs> I am most excited to see Yunus Musa. I feel like his best days are with the U S men's national team. Uh, Valencia looks to be safe, but they also still have one match day in La Liga. And there is a, an outside chance that they do get relegated still, but it, it looks unlikely. I feel like Yunus Musa always does his best work with the national team and the fact that he will likely be transferring this summer. This is kind of his opportunity to show off his value. Um, and I just love watching him play. He's so smooth on the ball. He's smooth, smooth operator on the pitch for the U S. So I'm, I'm very excited to see Eunice Musa back with this squad. All right. Last question. Who's one player that could be a surprise inclusion in this roster that you would want to see Tom, let's go reverse snake order here. John Anthony Brooks. Just, just Len Hoffenheim safety. We don't have Tim Ream, who's our best ball-playing slow center back. Um, so let's go ahead and replace it with a ball-playing slow center back with a World Cup <laughs> experience in John Brooks. Get him back into the squad after seeing Hoffenheim to safety. Um, he's a veteran leader. Automatically, if he comes in, no Berhalter to be with anymore. He's playing soccer again. Seems like a no-brainer. Ellie? I'm actually, I'm going to go for the defense too. Um, and I'm also going to go with a veteran player that is going to ruffle some feathers here. Um, Matt Miazga. All right. We love our yeah. Matt Miazga. He's doing great in, uh, out there in Cincinnati right now. So, I mean, I'd like to see him come back and have some time. And you're, there is no bird altar to beef with. He'll find someone to beef with. But um, <laughs> there's no bird halter to do Hopefully, with. it's someone on the other team. <laughs> and like you have a senior player, you don't have Tim Ream, you gotta replace some kind of some some kind of senior player there. So let's throw out some Matt Miazga. Maybe we'll get some more short comments. All right, there we go. Uh Cincinnati is in first place currently uh in MLS Supporter Shield standings. 33 points on 14 matches played. Pretty crazy. And Matt Miazga is playing a big part there. Um I'm going to go a little wild. I want to see a player from the second division in Italy, Serie B. Serie B. Is it Tanner Tessman? It is Tanner Tessman. It's yeah. Tanner Tessman time. Not it's TTT. Not Gianluca Busio. Another player from Venezia. Um, Tanner Tessman. Another center midfielder from America that plays on Venezia. Tanner Tessman. He has been outstanding. Been? Uh, I have when he joined the team. I haven't watched a lot of his games, but uh, this is going to be a classic podcast guy. Ready? My comment is, I've seen a lot of his great scores on FootMob after the matches. And I know reading the comments from uh, people that do watch the games and the fans from Venezia that he's been one of the most critical pieces getting them. Uh, they were in relegation territory about 10 matches ago, and they are finishing the season. They're in a promotion playoff right now. And Tanner Tessman is a huge part of that. Um, I I think that warrants a call up to 
maybe not Nations League, but at least Gold Cup definitely should be included in that roster. I would love to see that. I, I still don't know whether he projects as a six or an eight going forward, but someone with his frame in the midfield is something that we could definitely use more of. So yeah. I would love And after watching after watching the U twenty team, I mean there's so many players that I want to see on this gold cup roster now. Like Daniel Edelman, Jack McGlynn, Daniel Craig. All maybe some have better cases than others, but um if they are eligible to to come in and play like they've had enough rest and want to come play for the gold cup team. That'd be amazing. But we'll see that transfers roster. Cause I think that that's going to govern a lot of our gold cup roster for sure. But I, I can't see, I can't see Brandon Craig being a more likely transfer than Balogun or Musa or, oh, no. or any no. of those players. Basically, we're going to lose the whole first team because they're all transferring somewhere in Europe, and then we're going to yeah. call up whoever's left. So I think the MLS Supporters Shield will come into play here too, but um, that's that's a, that's a podcast topic for another day. I've got some controversial takes on who should be the midfield for the Gold Cup. Absolutely. Okay, that's it. Anything else we want to say about soccer? I think that pretty much covers it. Um, okay. Exciting couple weeks ahead of us. It seems like today was a fire hose news day. A lot of information. And I, I hope this I hope this show helped everyone consolidate all of that information into one clickable, listenable, watchable episode. Okay, if that's the soccer information. Ellie, what do you have to say about life or the world or the universe in general? Support lower league soccer and like <laughs> Um, I don't know if I say it enough on here. I really don't think I do. I think I need to sing it more. Um, FC Delco needs to hear it, yeah. I've never heard it. You know? Um, we need those USL League team USL League two teams to get their to get their supporters rallied together and y'all just go find your lower league soccer team. Um, I've been trying to track them throughout the US right now and trying to create a map personally for myself. Um and it has been very fun to figure out that there are, like, six t- soccer teams in, like, USL League 2 in, like, Pennsylvania alone. And I didn't know that. And so now I do. And do I live in Pennsylvania? No. Will it serve me? No. Is there another team in Tennessee that I've heard about? Maybe. And will I support them? No. Um, but... <laughs> But that said, I do support a lower league soccer team, and they are my heart and soul, and they are my family, and I want everyone to find their family in lower league soccer. So, do yourself a favor. Whip out those smartphones, go ahead and do the Googles, and find yourself your local lower league soccer team where you can go play drums and make up silly chants about the goalkeeper's jersey color. Well, thank yourself. (laughs) Tom. The, the universe that you are such a master of, what what do you have to say about the universe and the world and society? Oh, um, we'll say two things. One, uh, <laughs> one look forward to roster poll results for May because those should be dropping <laughs> in the next 24 hours. <laughs> That's soccer, yes. But, um, well, I guess Ellie said soccer, yeah, too. Ellie said soccer, too. <laughs> she, she started it. But also, you know, life is great. The universe is great. Um, I just started a new job with NASA this week um, where I am helping to plan what one of our space telescopes, NASA SWIFT, looks at on a daily basis. It's a really exciting job. Uh, really looking forward to learning how you know mission ops at NASA works on the inside. Um, lots to learn. Also discovering some cool stuff about the universe. So uh, stay tuned for more information about my research projects, which might or might not involve some really cool discoveries coming out in the next few months. Tom, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is the Earth really round? Uh, it depends on your definition of round. <laughs> Why is it flat? It's flat. Actually, cube. No one the, the moon it. makes it like it's a silly episode. I'm not sure <laughs> if I can in good conscience answer this question. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll let you off the hook. It's but you did say it's a cube, right? That oh, yeah. that was your final answer. The universe okay. notoriously loves cubes. <laughs> And if you think the universe is a cube, please like this video and leave us a great review on wherever you're listening to this. I hope you had as much fun listening and watching to this as we did recording it. We will see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Next week, we'll be busy. Uh, We'll likely have a transfer episode and a roster episode for Nations League and 
uh, European leagues are finishing up still. The U20s have games in the knockout rounds. So all of that, make sure you're subscribed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.